Turn to Ephesians 4. Ephesians chapter 4. This is the last day that we will be in Ephesians 4. We're completing this section of Scripture. Real quick, while you're turning to Ephesians 4, does anyone need a copy of the Word of God? Anybody need a Bible? We've got them available. Everybody's got one? Okay. Just want to make sure. Eli, make sure you come back. Okay, thanks. I'm going to go play. (laughs) Ephesians chapter 4. We are in the midst of a series. And yes, every Bible series that I do is long. Thank you for noticing. (laughs) It's called The Gifts in the Body. And we very much want to emphasize the spiritual gifts, but we very much want to emphasize the body of Christ. Because the body of Christ are the ones who possess the spiritual gifts that have been won for them by the Lord Jesus Christ and imparted to them by the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. What we've seen thus far is the idea that unity is to exist in the body of Christ. That because of our great location that we have in the Lord Jesus, you hear the gospel, Jesus died on the cross for your sins and is risen from the grave. If you believe in Him, you will be saved. It is by grace through faith. It's not works that you've done. It is a free gift of God that He offers to you. By listening to that, by hearing that and receiving it, we now have the capacity for faith to exercise believing in that. When that happens, instantaneously, you have forgiveness of sins and eternal life. But He also showered upon you abundant untold blessings that we could spend forever musing about in the church over and over and over and over again. If we wanted to sum it up succinctly, what we see has happened is is God has transferred us out of the dominion of Satan and into a brand new location known as in Christ. If you look in the book of Ephesians alone, you find 43 times the idea of in Him, in Christ, is mentioned over and over again because Paul wants us to understand we have been graciously jettisoned into a lofty position of no account of ourselves. We could never be there, and that's why it is by His grace that He doesn't just wipe out the debt that we owe, but He heaps upon us the riches and the privileges that we do not deserve. We have a loving and gracious God who has gone above and beyond to set people up for success, to glorify His name, and actually live lives. Good grief. Actually live lives worth living. No. Thank you, Jay. Anybody uh, got our picture for for that guy? Show it real quick. You know what? Everybody was thinking it, but to get it out in front of everybody, it's cathartic, so thank you. Okay. Uh, Does it matter? (laughs) Let's be honest. Does it? So we have this brand new location in Christ, and I'm blown away by two things. Number one, how powerful it is for the believer in Christ to recognize all that's been given to them. Number two, the astounding ignorance that we find throughout churches and talking to believers who are getting pummeled by the simplest of problems and setbacks all because they don't know about their position in Christ. They don't understand how greatly loved they are. And it's incredible how we live deficient lives when we're not plugged into what God has said. Now, one great thing that God has done to combat this, and the first elements that we've seen of spiritual gifts that have been unveiled are not in particular endowments that have been given to people, but instead offices that have been established throughout church history. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Very good. I was hoping you guys would catch into there somewhere, but that's all right. We get them, five of them. We see that prophets and apostles have passed away off the scene. We have the completed word of God. However, everyone still needs to know the gospel. We need the evangelist. People need to be shepherded and cared for, soul care. So we need the pastor. Doctrine needs to be reiterated. Why? 
Because we have a barrage of influences outside of us that are constantly speaking into our lives, telling us what to think is true. We need the Word of God in a replete fashion throughout our lives. This is one of the reasons why we memorize Scripture. This is one of the reasons why we ask God, teach me your Word. Teach me your will. I will walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. Why do we do that type of stuff? We do that because that's our destitute condition and we can only be where he wants us to be successfully. Living in the flesh is not going to make it work. So, with that being said, we're moving into the finishing of this small section. Look at verse 11 with me, Ephesians 4.11. He gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers. Look what it says here. For the equipping of the saints. Remember we talked about the idea in 2 Timothy 3.17 being adequate, thoroughly, thoroughly furnished. Remember that? That actually comes from the exact same root word that this idea of being equipped or completely outfitted for the work of ministry. In other words, the word of God is the arsenal that you need to glorify God well in what he's called you to do. My job as your pastor is to equip you for the work of the ministry. What is your job? That's part of it. Disciple, that's part of it. All of it can be put together in one thing, the work of the ministry. The work of the ministry is not done by who you hired. When that mentality comes into the church, that person usually ends up fired. Why? They can't do it all. And it's not what they're supposed to be doing. My job is to expound the word of God and to give it to you in such a way as to where your life is changing and you are using those tools in order to better handle life and to serve in an edification process that happens within the body of Christ. When that happens, we are built up. We are building up the body of Christ. Notice verse 12, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, that's ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, for how long? Until we all attain to the unity of the faith. What does that mean? Until we're raptured. We keep going in this direction until we're raptured. Here's the formula. In fact, Dave, if you don't mind, bring up the graphic. The Word of God serves to equip the saints. Because of the equipping that you receive, you are now able to do ministry within the body of Christ to edify the church. Now, some people don't like this, but I'm going to go ahead and say it. There's very little in the Bible about serving people outside of the church. There's all kinds of ministries. In fact, there's been a revolution and talking about missionary communities that are serving people outside of the church for missionary endeavors. But let me warn you of that. If you don't ever share the gospel with them, then they're better educated, better medicated, better fed, and still on the way to the lake of fire. So the primary ministry going on inside to the outside of the church is evangelism. Knowing the gospel, sharing it clearly, so that there is not a doubt about where they stand before a holy God. Shouldn't we feed them? Shouldn't we love them? Yes, but not at the expense of the message. And too often that's what I see happens. We're really good about gathering food and feeding people, but we're nervous as heck when it comes down to talking to them about Jesus Christ and Him crucified, and because they're sinners, they need a Savior. We have to stop apologizing for what Jesus called us to do. We have to be done with that mentality. But what we see predominantly in the New Testament is the work of the ministry happens in-house. Now, I don't mean in this building. This building is not a church. It's a building. Everyone I see, and if you turn your head around 360 degrees, anybody, anybody, anybody? That's the church. You are the church. I am the church. The church is a people, not a structure. So the equipping happens in people. Not today, Satan. Equipping happens in the people. When this happens, when this formula is in place, evangelists, pastors, and teachers are able to minister and equip you with the Word of God. You take that, and now you're operating ministries in light of the Word of God so that you're doing it according to truth. Building up happens. You don't have to start it. You don't have to make it go. You don't have to get enough initiative. You don't have to get momentum flying. The Holy Spirit does the work. That's where it lies. 
Does this seem like a very simple formula? How often do we get it wrong? All the time. So if we could just remember this, what have I learned from the Word by the offices that God has put within my realm? Okay, now I'm taking that and I am ministering to the body of Christ in light of that. Then that's when the Holy Spirit works. Period. It's that easy. Moving on. What's the downfall, or sorry, what's the goal that is to be happening? Until we all attain to the unity of faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, a full-grown, we need to be full-grown dudes. Notice it's just singular. Everybody see that? Because it's talking about corporately. It's talking about the totality of us. It's not, well, I'm really excelling in my walk with the Lord. Great. How are you pouring that into other people? Because they need to excel too. How do you lock arms with your brothers and sisters in Christ who are struggling and in turn impart truth to them for their upbuilding as well? Why? Because the whole church needs to grow. Not just some of it. Not just some of it. In fact, I would be scared to death if we were full grown except for our big toes. What if you had teeny weeny itsy bitsy big toes? No balance. Would you fall over? Yes, you would. Important how the big toe is, isn't it? Some of you never appreciated your big toe this much as of right now. But you're like, wow, that's a valuable toe. God knew what he was doing when he made you. Good stuff. How dangerous would it be if we give off the appearance of being full grown, but the big toe is just not there? We can't afford to leave our brothers and sisters in Christ behind. It's a corporate thing. Now, here's the problem. I'm sorry, let's finish that verse. To the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. In other words, because Christ is our head, we need to be filling that out. In other words, it's not, you ever seen those cartoons, big heads, tiny bodies? You ever seen those, those types of things? Too often, that's what the church looks like. Massive head, because it's Christ, fully mature, willing to guide us, always. And tiny, itsy-bitsy body that can barely support it. So it's just, is that how we want to portray Jesus to people? I don't think so. So by receiving in the teaching of the Word and by utilizing that in the work of the ministry, that's how we fill out the magnitude of what we should be. Now here's the danger. Verse 14, as a result, we're no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, every new teaching that comes along. We just grab onto it. It just drags us down the wrong path. No, that's what children do. Notice it's by the trickery of men deceiving, by the craftiness in deceitful scheming nope not how we're supposed to deal with it receiving bible doctrine and participating in ministry is how you avoid remaining children now don't put up a a, a raising of hands but i think it's important to understand this and to acknowledge it for yourself with the exception of the ethno students you're here for a reason god brought you here for a reason if you're a visitor great we're glad you're with us you could have gone to any other church but i don't believe that it was just well, we're just going to decide to go there. Even if you cast lots for it, God controlled that. Okay? Acts chapter 1. You're here. You are here for a reason. It's not by mistake. And I think the good question for us to ask is, great, if we're here, what ministry are we participating in? Because nobody was called to sit. What's your calling from Jesus? He wants me to sit. That pew needs to be so warm that when I leave and come back next Sunday, it's still warm. No, not at all. In fact, if you are convinced that you are not to have any sort of active participation in the body, in other words, you're just here to receive and you're not here to pour into it, understand that's unbiblical. It's unbelief. It's sin. And if you desire to persist in that, repent. Change your mind about it. Or give us your seat. Because there's somebody else that can fill that seat that will be willing to put their hands to the work of the ministry in light of the word that they've learned. Now, I don't say that to be mean. But let's really think about what God's word is telling us. We never see a situation where the body is just to sit and be lax. This is the danger of two things happening in the body. Number one, usually starts emotionally with apathy. You ever been apathetic about ministry? Well, uh, that person probably should hear the gospel, but 
They got a lip piercing. I don't think they'll come to Christ. Let's not act like we haven't disqualified somebody based on appearance. Even Samuel wanted to do that. When he saw David, he's like, this guy? What did the Lord say to him? Don't look at his appearance. I've rejected that. I look at things you don't see. I look at the heart. God knows when those ministry opportunities for evangelism are prepared. He's the one who prepared them. But when we, could, when we get into apathy as a body, apathetic people are no fun to be around. Anybody hope that you live to be the most apathetic person in the world? Nobody goes for that goal because it's depressing. And what we find is we have an emotional disconnection from souls. I don't know if you remember, but a few weeks ago when we had the prophecy conference here over the weekend, and I know I brought this up a couple of sermons ago, but it was pretty profound what he said. Those guys have been in churches all over the world. They teach people all the time. They're training pastors, all kinds of stuff. And I asked the question, what are the greatest dangers threatening the church in America right now? And Dr. Stollard answered, you know, we're ignorant of the Word of God. We don't know our Bibles. He sees that everywhere. But the number two thing he said, does anybody remember what it was if you, if you were there for the question and answer? Anybody remember it? It was the fact we don't labor over souls. The fact that people are lost don't, it doesn't disturb us enough. It doesn't unnerve us enough that the lake of fire is where they have reservations at. That has to change. That has to change. Because I don't know if you've noticed it, everybody's trying to lull the church asleep. Not this church. We need to pay attention to the Word of God and be the exception to the rule. We cannot afford to be apathetic. You're like, you know what? My heart just doesn't feel anything for that. Great. You just identified the point of prayer in your life. God, break my heart for people. Break my heart for my brothers and sisters. Give me eyes to see them as you see them because He sees them thoroughly. He sees them broken. He sees them as where they need ministering to. And that's how God ministers to people through other people in the body of Christ. But a lot of times, unforgiveness and bitterness has destroyed Christians. Don't let that happen. Let that be your point of prayer. The second great problem I see in the body of Christ is atrophy. In fact, we just didn't take the time to work some of the body out. We had really great biceps, but we had teeny-weeny chicken legs. That's a scary church. Don't put shorts on, church. Nobody wants to come to that church. Why? Because we're not fully developed. Because we haven't been participating in the ministry, we haven't worked out. And because we haven't worked out, we find ourselves biblically illiterate. And because we find ourselves biblically illiterate, we're easily, easily overcome. We find ourselves to be children. That's a dangerous place. Notice how Paul picks this up in verse 15. But speaking the truth in love. Ah, there's the pathway. There's the pathway. But speaking the truth in love. In other words, as you're doing the work of the ministry and you're conversing with one another, what's coming out of your mouth? It's an indication of what's in your heart. Jesus told us that. What's coming out of your mouth? Speaking the what? Truth. How? In? In love. Indispensable together. Now here's the question. Where did you get that truth? Go back up to verse 11. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. As the word of God was imparted to me and expounded for me, I then was able to turn around and ask for God to use it to change my heart. And now I'm able to minister in such a way to where I was never able to minister before because the Holy Spirit is doing supernatural things with the supernatural Word of God. Does everybody see how that works? We've gone over that enough. We should know that. Okay, that's a freebie for today. Nobody? Wow, okay. Everybody take a moment. Take a moment. Give me a second. Scene. Okay. Speaking the truth in love. I'll pull the picture up again. You guys stop. We often speak to other people, but do we do it in love? In fact, when you say that a lot of the speaking that's been going on from the church, especially that's recognized by the media, they'll recognize what they want to, but it's a lot of the speaking we do that's not in love, isn't it? What's this church in Kansas City? Anybody remember? What's it, what is it? Westboro, Westboro. Man, there's nothing that screams the love of Jesus that he died for all people than a 
sign that you want to hold up in big bold letters that says, God hates fags. Is that true? No. And where in the world does the church feel so entitled to diminish people who are struggling in sin? Should I hold up one that says, God hates liars? If that's the case, we should all be convicted. God hates swindlers. God hates adulterers. Do you think it breaks God's heart when people sin? Yeah, some of you are shocked I even said that word. We should be shocked. We should be shocked when the body of Christ acts in an attitude that is apart from Jesus. I don't ever go through seeing Jesus with the picket sign. Right? In fact, one of the best things I think has ever been done for those people. I know it sounds weird as I'll get out, but I'll go ahead and share it with you. And some people won't even know what I'm talking about. Anybody heard of the band, the Foo Fighters? They just recently played a show there in Kansas City. And every time they go there, they rent a bandwagon. And they set up their instruments on that bandwagon. And they drive by the church and they play a song for them. And the song they played this time was, You Should Be Dancing by the Bee Gees. Now, I don't know what you think about that. I think that's great. Because they're out there hating people, condemning people, yelling at people, screaming at people, as angry as can be with the love of Christ boiling through them. And here comes a float load of pagans saying, man, you guys need to cheer up. You guys need to get over it. Even the pagan world sees that we misrepresent Jesus. Remember, Jesus was attracted to prostitutes tax collectors, lepers, the blind, those that society had outcast. And he was like, bring them here. I love this. These children are so annoying. Why are they crowding out everything? And what's he saying? Come to me. Let the little children come to me. Some of us won't sign up for nursery duty because we think that, oh, come to little children, good grief. That's not the love of Jesus, man. It's not. But what it does do is it shines a spotlight on a heart problem. Where Jesus, being the ideal pinnacle, and I understand we're never going to reach where he was because he's God in the flesh, I get that. But haven't we been called in light of his grace to have a greater life? Do you realize that's in relation to people who don't sin like you? And small children as well, and the elderly as well, and... Everybody that's different from us. That's what grace does. Grace removes all the boundaries, and Jesus says, you got a free-for-all. Speak the truth in love. Tell them the truth. They may not like it. If you do it lovingly, how much more willing are they to listen? Speak the truth in love. There's your path. There's a way to do it. Exercising that love. Now watch how this moves forward. This is incredible. But speaking the truth in love, we, notice that Paul includes himself. It's a personal inclusive pronoun here. Paul's in this. We think Paul, super mature Paul, amazing Paul, 13 books of the New Testament Paul, right? No, Paul says, I'm part of the body as well. We are to grow up in all aspects, out to the very end of the fingertips, to the very end of the toes, all the way through in this body analogy that he's painting, all aspects into him. Who is the head, even Christ? Into who? Christ. If you are growing up into any other way but into Jesus Christ, you're not growing. You're fooling yourself. Well, Beth Moore had this amazing Bible study. Don't grow up into Beth Moore. Grow up into Jesus Christ. He is our head. Now stop for a second. Everybody in here has a head. At least I hope. If not, you didn't hear me just say that. Think about what your head does. Think about it for just a second. Isn't it the means by which we know what is right and wrong, right? So we receive that. What's that? Somebody say something. Isn't it the means by which we see where we're going and what to be involved in and what not to be involved in? Isn't it the means by which we have supply of oxygen going through our body? Isn't it the means by which we are expressing ourselves? Does everybody see how important the head is? 
Now think about that and all that your head does for the rest of your body and put Jesus Christ in his pinnacle place and think about how that's supposed to affect the rest of the body. This is why Jesus would say such things and show this model of, I don't say anything unless I've heard it from the Father. What I've heard from the Father, I'm going to tell from you. Notice what he's putting that through. Something came in through the ear of which is translated to him, of which he must dispense. And it wasn't like, well, I know the Father said that, but if you want to know what's really spiritual, it's this. It's not what happened. There is no trapdoor Christianity there. Jesus sought to be real and authentic in everything by properly representing the truth and communicating it in love. Just as Jesus Christ is our head, what are we to be communicating? Whatever he hears on our behalf. Whatever he sees on our behalf. This is Think about just sight for just a second. Does Jesus know the past, present, and the future? Has he not lined out prophecy for us in the scriptures? Pete's teaching a whole class on this subject. Because we have such certainty from the word of God about how things are going to unfold and end. Jesus sees it. And he communicates that to us. This is like, well, I'm so scared to death that somebody's going to set off a bomb and do this. You know what? That might happen. But that's not the way it's going to come down and end. Jesus has told us how it's going to end. That's what gives the believer confidence to look in the future and move forward. You can hold your head high because Jesus already knows and he's already communicated it to us. Anything that we have to say to one another, speaking the truth in love, here's the great thing. If it's apart from anything that, that, that the Bible has communicated to us, we have to ask the question of whether it's truth or whether it's love, but it needs to be both coupled together. Now, some of you have already felt a little bit of my wrath about this. But when it's like, oh, we're getting together and we're having fellowship. And then it turns into a slight prayer session. And then it really ends up being gossip about what's happening, what's not happening, and how somebody made you mad at the grocery store. That's not fellowship. Because you find out that it's not truthful. And it ends up being not loving. Fellowship is communing with brothers and sisters surrounded or sorry, surrounding Jesus Christ our Lord. That's fellowship. That's having a common unity and a reason to rejoice. That's saying that the things we want to talk about to one another have been found in here. That's fellowship. You think that would cause us to grow up in Christ? You want to test that? Think about this. What were you talking about before we started worship? What were the contents of your conversation? What were the heaviness of your words? What were you emphasizing? How were you communicating to other people? Did it have anything to do with God and what he's doing in your life? I guarantee you God wants to do things in your life. I, I pray God is doing things in your life. How he's changing you. How he's showing you things. Speaking the truth to one another in love. That's how you grow up and that's how you combat all of this junk that wants to infiltrate the church. Now notice what it says, growing up to him in the head, who is Christ, verse 16, from whom the whole body, if you're a member of the body of Christ, raise your hand. Every single hand should be up. Because here's what this is getting across. Every member matters. There are no second class members. There are no ghetto members. There are no poverty members. None of that. Every one of us, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, is a fully accepted in the beloved daughter or son of the Most High God. Every single one. No one is neglected. No one is second class Christian, second tier Christian. They don't exist. We often kid ourselves going, oh, well, I could never do that type of ministry. You know why? Because that's not the ministry God called you to do. He called you to do something else. We often look at everybody else's holy highlight reel and then we check out, oh man, I really messed it up there. And then we get depressed about it. No. What has God called you to do in the body of Christ? You're significant. This is why leaving a church is not a light matter. You have to think just as intentional as it was for you to be here and for God to bring you here. God did it intentionally for a reason. He is building a local representation of his son for this community and surrounding area to see. That's what he's doing in every place that is called by his name. He is developing, fully developing, fully maturing out, fully fleshing out for people to see the body of Jesus Christ in action. It's exactly what's taking place. So when we say, well, I don't like that, so I'm leaving. Wake up, man. 
That comes from the flesh. That's come from self. That's directly from your meology class, not your theology class. Get rid of that and recognize, no, I have significance here for no other reason. I'm a child of God. I'm a child of God and I matter. You matter. You have intrinsic worth. In fact, we were created in his image and likeness. Image and likeness. Sounds like God had some good intentions in making people. It says here, from whom the whole body, everybody, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies. Does everybody see that? How are we fit and held together? By what every joint supplies. In other words, by every member responding from the intaking of the word of God from those spiritual offices and then reproducing out, producing something out, the fruit of what they took in, what was planted in them. You find that everybody starts doing the work and everybody starts adding to little bits of the body of Christ. And this is what causes the unity to happen. Isn't that what holding and fitting together is? Your hand is fit together in a very particular way. In fact, you can go through and feel how all your knuckles are there and all the little ligaments that hold them together and the skin that keeps it all unified in some way. Notice that God's not using crazy images that we can't grasp here. He wants to say, hey, take a look at your own body and figure out what I'm doing in the body of Christ. I'm putting it all together. And as everybody does their stuff, it all holds together and it all moves forward and it all builds up. You ever thought about how much it takes for you to wave at somebody? You ever thought? First, you have to decide whether or not that person's worth waving to, right? That's a big thing. It's the mental struggle. And then you got to send a signal. Raise your hand and decide how you're going to wave. Are you going to give a cutesy wave? You're going to give a float presidential Queen Elizabeth wave? Are you going to give a I'm a maniac and need some steroids wave? Or if you're on a bike, you do this one, right? Hold your hand out. You ever seen that go by? Kind of thing. It's like, dude, that's so cool. Nobody says that. (laughs) Nobody says that. But you've got to make a decision, and there's a lot involved. Here, 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 here. Depending on what you decide to do, I don't know. There's a lot involved. It takes every point of reference, every little bit to happen. Some churches don't go anywhere because the elbow stopped working. Some churches don't go anywhere because the wrist is on vacation. Some churches, we're going to see this later on, got mad that the thumb was not the pinky finger. Some churches dismantle themselves by not simply following the formula of being equipped with the word and doing the work of the ministry, by just being active. And by sitting out, the body of Christ pays the price. Look, he says here, by what every joint supplies, every joint has to be involved. According to the proper working. You know what that means? Do it right. Do it right. Do it right. The proper working of each individual part. Every person matters. It causes, notice, it causes. I like causes. I love that word. Because it's a word. It's an action word. It Stuff starts exploding and moving forward word. Something's going to happen when everybody gets involved, when everybody's participating. We have 39 volunteers, adult-wise, in Awana right now. That's insane. That's amazing. Those kids appreciate it. Isn't it good to be a teacher? Isn't it good to be, I mean, if you're just overseeing to make sure a kid doesn't trip over his own feet, you're there for a reason, right? Don't pretend like that don't happen. And, uh, you know, Art, I still love the fact you're in the middle of games. I love that. Art's right in the middle. How fantastic. Being involved. Playing a little part. You know how, how that is? I'm convicted by the word of God that I ought to be serving and ministering either in evangelism or discipleship to these kids. So you come to Deb and Scott and you say, how can I help? Guess what? They'll find something for you to do. They'll find a place. 
Even if it's simply walking the halls for security purposes to make sure none of those people that Emily was talking about come in. All right? Those strangers, creepy people? Yeah. But seriously, even that's valuable because everybody's playing a part. Everybody's involved. It's relieving a lot of worry from the teachers so they can teach freely and not have to worry about anything else. Creates less distractions. I mean, think about everybody involved, doing it right, doing it God's way, doing it in light of his word, just desiring to be used by God and to watch growth and upbuilding happen. It goes in a direction. Each individual part causes the growth of the body. For the building up of itself, it returns to that idea that we saw in verse 12. Building up of itself in what? Love. Love. We know this commonly as agape or agapao. And the idea is, is a love that extends itself selflessly without expecting anything in return. It builds itself up in love. If we are not a loving church, the way that we become a loving church is by receiving the word, being equipped with it, doing the work of the ministry, getting this upbuilding, and this upbuilding facilitates and creates a love that happens. This was God's original plan by putting us in Christ. Let me show you this. Ephesians chapter 1. Turn back to chapter 1. Look with me. Some of you ethno students can take this back to some of your teachers and Try to scramble their minds with it. It's good. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 1. Look at verse 3. The believer's glorious calling in Christ. Look at this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us. There's your personal inclusive pronoun, Paul and y'all. That's what it means. Okay? Who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in where? There's that glorious location. In Christ, if you're a believer in Christ, you've been put in Christ. And if you are in Christ, you have every spiritual blessing, which means you're not lacking anything spiritually. This is why the you need to speak in tongues for the second blessing thing doesn't fly. Because according to the word of God, I have every spiritual blessing in him. He is sufficient to set me where I need to be. So notice that. There's your general statement. Now here's the one that messes people up. Look at verse 4. Just as he chose us in him. Where are we at when he chose us? In him. Seems pretty plain, doesn't it? So many people read this, well, we were chosen to be in him. It's not what it says. It says when you become a believer in Christ, you're put in him with every spiritual blessing. And after you're in him, he chooses you to something. Look what it says. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that's when he made this decision, that we would be holy, so set apart, and blameless, without fault or stain or blemish or wrinkle, before him in what? In love. Now, if you have punctuation after him and before in, there is no punctuation in the Greek here. Translators have put it in there as the best of their ability of what they can understand it. They sought to do a good job. But I believe that in love is to be part of that. So what did God choose us for in Christ? He actually gave us a ministry, a task, something to fulfill. And what is that something that we are called to fulfill? We are called to fulfill being holy, set apart, unlike anything else, so set apart for a special reason, and without stain or blemish in our love for one another. Unstained, holy love existing amongst the body of Christ. That's what we've been chosen for. That's our ministry, the task set before us. This is why when we get to Ephesians 4, he tells us how that happens. You intake the word, you outproduce the work of the ministry, the building up happens, and it builds itself up into love. That's how it takes place. Everybody see how important the formula is? Yes? No? Who's asleep? It's important. Now let's see a test case. Let's find a church and do a test case. Turn with me to Acts chapter 6. Perfect test case for this type of scenario. If we know anything from Acts, the very first church in Jerusalem was on fire. Peter preached a sermon, 3,000 people added in one day. Praise God, hallelujah, we need more chairs. All right? I hope you guys appreciate my jokes. Moving on. But you have this happen over and over, and there'll be a little snafu that'll pop up here, and they deal with it according to the word of God. And then there's a road bump here and they deal with it there. And there's a pothole here and they deal with it there. 
And then they come upon something incredibly interesting in Acts chapter 6. Look at verse 1. Now at this time, while the disciples were increasing, is this church surviving or thriving? Thriving church. It's where we want to be. So the disciples are increasing. Look what it says here. They were increasing in number. Notice that's added, italics there. It might not be what it meant, but it could. A complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. So here's what it is. The body of Christ is taking care of the body of Christ in a particular segment of the body of Christ. In fact, here's something that's interesting. The head, the person, not the head, the lead pastor, let's put it that way, who is over the church in Jerusalem, ends up being James, Jesus' half-brother. Now, real quick, Dave, let's go to James chapter 1 and look at verse 27. You don't have to turn there if you want to jot it down look at it. He wrote something. James is the first book of the New Testament that was ever written. Here's what he writes. Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. There's a good philosophy of life, okay? So this guy is in the thick of everything that's going on in church leadership here in the book of Acts. Let's go back to Acts chapter 6, verse 1. So here's what you have. You have a distribution of food that's taking place. People started a food bank, and they said, great, let's get this in the hands of people so that these widows who don't have somebody who's a breadwinner in their home can actually be taken care of, and the body is serving out as any person had need because it's in-house work of the ministry that's taking place. The problem is, is you got a little bit of racial tension that's taking place. You have some that have more of a Hellenistic vibe to them, or more of a Greek vibe to them. They've got more of a Greek culture going on. And then you have some that might be considered a little bit more orthodox for that time, because all of the church was made up of Jews at that time. They're both Jews, but they come from more of a Hebrew background that they're dealing with. And so the favoritism that has taken place here is the fact that the Hebrew widows are receiving more or a, or a greater quantity than what the Hellenistic widows are, and this isn't a good situation to have. It's causing infighting in the church, and there's divisions, and, and who knows what kind of backbiting is taking place. Now, what's interesting about this passage is it never says who's distributing the food. It never tells us that. But look what happens because of this problem. Verse 2, so the 12 church leadership summon the congregation, the body of Christ, uh, congregation of the disciples and said, now here's what they got. It is not desirable. It's not pleasing. It's not okay. God is not good with it. It is not desirable for us to neglect the what? Word of God. Why? Stop for a second. Why in a church is it not pleasing to God to neglect the word? Because if you're not getting equipped with the Word, what are you getting equipped with? And how in the world can you do ministry apart from truth? And how can you speak anything loving that's worth any value if it's not truthful? Everybody see that? The Word of God is a foundational element for this. That's what the Twelve did. They were Bible teachers. They were pastors. They were evangelists. They were shepherds. And they are shepherding God's people. They've had to set down their Bibles and get involved in the church food bank. And now ministry's in trouble. So they get everybody together. It's a crisis situation. It's not good. It's not pleasing for us to neglect the Word of God in order to serve tables. That's interesting. Because what it means here is inspecting or examining. It's like the idea of we all had to put on aprons and become waiters and waitresses in this situation because it fell through. Or here's a good one. Let's see if this hits home. Well, nobody else was doing it and somebody had to. Right? So if nobody else, if other people, if the body wasn't going to step up to the plate and take care of it, somebody had to get this done. And so that means I had to neglect what God wanted me to do in order to get done what needed to be done. One of the best things you can do is stick to what God wanted you to do and let it fall on its face. So they see a problem. We're waiting tables. We should be ministering God's word. Verse 3, Therefore, brethren, Select from among you seven men, here are the requirements, good reputation, full of the Spirit, they're Spirit-led individuals, and of wisdom. In other words, they know how to apply the Word of God. It's not just knowledge in the head, it's manifested as an outflow from the heart. It says, 
whom we may put in charge of this task. This is the calling of the first deacons in the church. It was an emergency session that they had to have. Now think of the requirements that go on here. Good reputation, full of spirit, and of wisdom. They can put them in charge. They can trust them. Verse 4, but we, watch this, but we will devote ourselves to number one prayer and number two to the ministry of the word. Why? Because that's where the foundational level is. The equipping of the word of God by these gift offices so that people can do the work of the ministry successfully for the building up the body of Christ. They understood it early on. If we neglect this foundational point, there's nothing to stand on. So we got to get people involved. Now here's what's amazing. Here's what's amazing. Look at who's chosen. Verse 5. This statement found approval with the whole congregation and they chose, if you got a pen, mark them. Number one, Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. And number two, Philip, he later becomes an evangelist. Number three, Prochorus, I guess how you say his name. Name your kid that, see what happens. Number four, Nicanor. Number five, Timon. Number six, Parmenaeus. And number seven, Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. Here's how you know the church was operating in love. All seven men that were chosen have Greek names. Now think about it for a second. Go back up to verse 1. What was the problem? The Hellenistic Jews were getting overlooked in favor of the Hebraic Jews. Everybody see that? They're leaning more towards that side. The congregation has got a decision to make. The ministry of the Word needs to be happening. And they operate in love by nominating seven individuals that come from the Greek strand that's being neglected. Now here's the amazing thing. Regardless of where your lot fell within the church at that time, whether you were more on the Hebrew side or more on the Greek side, it really didn't matter because you're all one in the body of Christ. And they're understanding this. So notice, out of love, the body operates in such a way as to nominate those to offset the unbalance that had happened. I think that's a big deal. Because what that shows is that love had so brimmed to the surface that nobody was saying, well, I think it should be this guy. Don't you know how amazing Harold is with his kids? That's not one of the prerequisites. Well, don't you understand how much they take care of puppies? They love people. It's none of these things we bring to the table to think. It's the idea of letting the truth of God's word so rule us to where love outpours in decision-making like this. Verse 6. And as they brought before the they brought these before the apostles, and after praying, they laid their hands on them. And what happened? Verse 7, here's the result. The word of God kept on spreading because it was in its rightful place again at the foundation. And the number of the disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests... Man, I love that. The priests, those who were previously Judaizers, a lot of them might have been calling for Christ's crucifixion. And look what it says. The priests were becoming obedient to the faith. Look at the evangelistic impact that happens when our churches are structured God's way and every person is involved in doing the work of the ministry. I love this quote. If you wouldn't mind, bring it up. Henry, Harry Ironside, not Henry, Harry, H.A. Ironside, if you get a chance to read his stuff, great stuff. You got it, Dave? Caught me at the wrong time because I've already taken a drink. The Blessed Risen Lord gives some the gift of apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and some teachers. But it is in order that all may profit thereby. For it is for the perfecting, and that word doesn't mean becoming perfect and sinless, it means becoming fully mature. The perfecting of the saints for the work of ministry and for the edifying of the body of Christ. Do not be content to come to meeting and just be a spiritual sponge. Fill up. And then let the blessed Lord do some squeezing. Man, I love that. Are you here today and you need some squeezing? You're as full as can be. Do you need some squeezing? Give it out to somebody else. And then you will be carrying out the true principle of the New Testament ministry. Not just filling up. 
but letting him get you all squeezed out. What does this boil down to? Here's the idea to leave with. Every minister, or sorry, every member is a minister of the body. Can you bring that up, Dave? Every member is a minister to the body. Every member. Every single one. Every single person. You are so significant to Jesus Christ that he has given you something to do within the body of Christ. Why is that? Because every believer matters. In God's view, in Jesus' view, every believer matters. He didn't just save us to do nothing. Our world is coming to an end. Our world is coming to a close. And we get to go out in a blaze of glory. And I'm super jazzed about it. I hope you are. But if we're not taking the word of God as ministered, if we're not doing the work of the ministry within the body of Christ, if we're not being built up and having love be the outflow of those things, we're failing. We're failing before our Savior. And He's called us. He chose us for much greater than that. Love is what He chose us to be spotless unto. Just as Acts chapter 6. Let's put our personal biases and apprehensions aside and receive the Word of God and be the people of God. Every one of us. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for constructing something so miraculous as the church. It is a development. It is a plan out of your mind, out of your heart for how you desire to communicate to this antagonistic culture. Thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ who is our head, who intakes and dispenses throughout the body all that we need in order to grow up into all that we should be and to fulfill all that you've called us to. Lord, help us to assess ourselves. Are we taking in the Word of God? Are we being equipped with it? Are we assimilating it into our lives? Is it changing the way that we think? Is it making us think differently? God, I pray that we're thinking differently about the church this morning, about our involvement in it, about how important and essential it is that we're there, about how you desire to use us and work through us and flow ministry through us so that we could be built up and demonstrating love for one another. What a wonderful opportunity we have. Father, convict our hearts this morning about being invested as we ought to be for the upbuilding of your body. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.